You know, maybe a jingle would help. Don't watch the mon... Don't watch the... Monsters! (laughs) Welcome to part two of our Dawn of the Dead episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. This is the month of October, our anniversary month. So, as we mentioned in the previous episode, no bonus episode per se, but there will be bonus content. And what that mm-hmm. means is that the Patronis are going to take place on our patron feed, just like they have the past couple of years. That's the the award ceremony where we just give prizes to uh, all the movies that we covered on the Patreon channel. So if you're a patron, that's kind of like a walk down memory lane over the past year. It's a lot of fun. It's it's like the Embrys uh, that we do here on the main feed. But it's just, the after party exclusive. Yes, it's like we we loosen our ties, we we toss the jackets on the floor and kick the shoes off, and we just we just talk about a different set of movies, <laughs> a little less mainstream. So it'll be fun, and everybody has access to that as long as you're a patron, whether you're on the dollar tier. Or the $10 tier, it doesn't matter. You have access to that. Also, on the dollar tier, on the Travolti's tier, you have access to our cutting room floor stuff. So anything that doesn't make it into the episodes that might seem interesting, it goes there on those cutting room floor segments, and you have access to that. Now, if you want access to more stuff, then you go a tier up to the Winonis or even higher, and that will give you access to our pre-recording notes. It'll give you access to our quick video reviews. This month, so I haven't recorded it, but we're going to be, Alex and I are going to be doing a dual QVR for the original Planet of the Apes, not the most recent one with all the the CGI apes and Mm -hmm. not the Tim Burton one with uh, Mark Wahlberg as as the main guy. No, this is, we're going all the way to the Charlton Heston times. We're going to be talking about it together on a dual QVR uh, as requested by patron Jordan Manns. Alex, are you excited to see uh, Practical Monkeys? I'm fired up. Yeah, none of the CGI motion capture stuff. This is people uh, liked that modern trilogy, right? Yeah, no, that's a all joking aside. It's considered a, kind of like a high point as far as motion capture. Oh, okay. Well, potentially it'll lead me down a path of checking those out finally. Yeah, and you have to check out the Tim Burton one with well, duh, Wahlberg. So that'll be as far as quick video reviews go for October. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're doing with our lives. <laughs> other things that we've watched, other things that we've listened to, that we've played, that we've thought about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? At the time of recording, I will have come and gone to Dallas, going to the State Fair and the Red River Shootout between Oklahoma and Texas, which is a fairly significant annual sporting event in the country of America. We're going for my buddy Brody's 40th birthday. He's a big OU fan, and uh, it was kind of suggested we all celebrated his birthday by doing so. So I will be recapping my experience of the game, but more importantly and specifically recapping everything I ate and drank at the state fair because that's what i'm really fired up about (laughs) please get a funnel cake for me i'll get two you know (laughs) one for you one for me yeah (laughs) all right well uh i will be doing something similar alex by the time that we record because we're doing this in advance because october is a complicated month because i'm going back home to peru as i 
try to do at least once a year. So when I come back, we'll record the after hours where I tell you about my latest trip. I'm already tired just from thinking about it. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> we'll have fun. I always love seeing my my family, my friends, but we're taking my father-in-law with us this time so he can uh, see some of the Peruvian sites. Yeah, so, so it's going to be tourist heavy on this one. We're going to Cusco, which I love that city. I haven't been to Cusco in, in a good while, in, but I think I'm going to have to reckon with the fact that I am much older now. So whereas Cusco used to be the place where you go to party, now I think Cusco is just going to be the place where you go to like eat <laughs> and drink, <laughs> but not party. Fair I don't want to be one of those guys that's just trying to to mix it up with the with the young crowd. Uh, but it should be fun. So I will tell you about everything that, that happens on my Peruvian trip. Uh, whatever movies I managed to squeeze in, maybe two weeks of traveling. So I'm sure I'll get some reading or watching done, at least while I'm on the planes and trains. Um, we'll see. So my trip to to Peru, Alex's trip to Dallas, funnel cakes. Mm. That'll be a, a very uh, travelogue-like uh, after hours. Uh, if that sounds interesting or any of the other things that we listed sound interesting, well, go check out our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash Prime. You can look at our tiers and decide if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. and $10 are respective tiers. Drop a buck in the uh, proverbial tip jar and it will unlock to you a world of patron goodies, uh, specifically our Roxena miniseries, Maxi series as we call it, and our Lohan miniseries. And as I've been uh, cryptically speaking to, probably by the time of the next episode, it'll be public knowledge, but we're working towards some uh, future patron-exclusive projects. So if you've been on the fence or been curious about what uh, life is, you know, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, but the uh, <laughs> the exclusive access behind the curtain is definitely a good thing. And you'll feel like you're in Oz, seeing color for the first time with some of the stuff we do over there. Always get some good feedback on our bonus episodes and projects that we devote specifically to our patrons. So check it out. Give it a shot. You'll be able to tell pretty quick if you don't like it. And so uh, it's, it's low risk, uh, but we're confident that based on our reviews and returns, we we're confident we got some good shit over there. So check it out. Stay tuned to what the future holds. If you have any questions about it, just let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or email uh, to all of our current patrons. We love y'all. Oh, so dearly. And we look forward to the potential ones that the future holds. So stay tuned, as I said. All right, Alex, let's stumble to that mall and, and see if we can feed on some brains. You know, they don't say brains at all in this. I don't know why I always thought the Romero zombies were like brains, but I guess that came later. Yeah, uh, I guess I don't know when that was introduced, but I'm trying to think if I've eaten brain of any type before. <laughs> I don't think so. (laughs) Good. Because this this was supposed to be a transition. It wasn't supposed to derail us into (laughs) (laughs) it's certainly certainly not the type of brain that we're inferring here. So let's go. Let's talk about the fucking movie. Spam. Did you bring a can opener? No, I guess I didn't. Then don't knock it. It's got its own key. Julio, I want you to know I resisted the urge during the entire run of Contrarian's Corner to like make my position that this wasn't anything weird because it was happening in Philadelphia. It's just what happens there. But uh, I feared if I had done that, that something awful like the Eagles winning the Super Bowl would have happened. So I resisted the urge. I mean, I've never been to Philadelphia, so I would just I would have taken your word for it. 
I could have led you astray with that. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, so that's that's how they roll. <laughs> that's what the real Philadelphia story was about. This, uh, when I was browsing the trivia, this one made me chortle. Uh, Scott Reiniger's grandmother, despite his warnings, insisted on seeing the film in the theater. Reiniger accompanied her to the showing, and he said she made it through part of the uh, opening apartment scene. He then asked her if she'd like to leave, and she told him yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting at the mall was suspended over the Christmas season because it would have been too costly to nightly remove and then rehang all the seasonal decorations. That's, did you stay through the whole credits? I did, yep. Uh, I mean, well, they were playing while I was doing something else. <laughs> they did credit like mall security and different um, employees at the mall because they, they just filmed it overnight at a real mall. I just thought that was interesting. I mean, these credits weren't, you know, like a Pixar movie or something, but they... I was just waiting for the final shot of uh, Nick Fury. Oh, God. Entering the mall. So... The actors got Christmas off. That was my takeaway from that last blurb I read there. So it must have been a good time overall. <laughs> so you think uh, Romero is, is kind of like a white elephant kind of guy? or <laughs> he, uh, he told the cast, in the words of my father, you deserve to be disappointed. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, man. We're entering yet another very beloved, beheld horror movie the territory of which and uh so i guess the hope now is we don't piss off too many people i think that we've established or that i'm sorry or that we haven't pissed off too many people because i don't know where we're gonna go yet yeah well what i was going to say is that as far as constraints history goes it's it's very well documented how much you love halloween how much you love the texas chainsaw massacre and uh well our Nightmare on Elm Street episode episodes with the remake episode. I mean, those those might be a little more controversial, but overall, I think we're kind of on the as far as horror fans go. I think we're on their good side. Is this the episode that turns the tide? <laughs> I guess we're about to find out because going in, kind of like I alluded to Contreras Corner, I thought this would be just right up your alley, and then you mm-hmm. hit me with, "Oh no, I don't really like zombie movies." And now I've told you this before, man. I know we've talked about movies uh, for many, many years. If, if you didn't do it on the show, it doesn't count. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's uh, not. Yeah, they're not. They're not particularly my bag. That's why I don't like own the ultra deluxe whatever I could get my hands on version of this. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe you will now. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this worked for you, uh, if it did at all or not and 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 really it is real talk so we have to talk about how it compares to snyder's version and and other zombie movies other pieces of zombie fiction all that's coming but before we get there i i have three rotten quotes and i have Stu's uh audio so you ready well, for real that? quick oh. before we get there i was about to say we you had proffered the uh question of if there was like a series of these, because you know this is viewed as a, a sequel, mm-hmm. it's also one of those that people put at the top of the list of sequels better than the originals. This was a series by George A. Romero. There was Night of the Living Dead '68, Dawn of the Dead '78, Day of the Dead '85, Land of the Dead '2005, Diary of the Dead '2007, and Survival of the Dead '2009. So there you go. <laughs> I think it's telling that none of those other movies are really spoken about in the same with the same level yeah. of admiration as the first two 
There is Twilight of the Dead, which he penned the treatment for. Is that the one with uh, Pattinson? <laughs> this was in the 2010s, and of course he's, he passed away, but it looks like the film is back in development and set to start production the fall of 2023. All right, Julio. Let's hear it. Who didn't like it? And most importantly, what does Stu think? Green splotches first. Critics that didn't like this, according to the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm going to start with Tom Hunt from Washington Blade, who says, Even if one accepts the director's premise that the earth is a toilet and hell the sewer underneath, John of the Dead lacks the coherence necessary to achieve its purpose. Is that what Romero is saying with this movie? Uh, I don't think so. And also, this movie is very coherent. It's very, very blatant about what it is. It all takes place in a mall. 80% of it takes place in the mall. Now, I, I'm sorry. I should say, yes, there, there can be subtext to anything. And people can read into something, you know, what they'd like to based on their experiences. But, like, the story this movie tells in no way suffers from any sort of ambiguity or uh, over subtlety. I mean, the mall is a penis. I think that that's very clear. <laughs> the mall is the patriarchy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much symbolism in the fact that it's a woman piloting the helicopter that finally gets away go. from the mall and a black man is a passenger guiding her to the future <laughs> uh all right next variety staff from variety romero's script is banal when not incoherent that's the second quote that accuses this screenplay of not being coherent Coherent according to what? <laughs> the rules of, of our world? Because this is not really taking place in our reality. So I think that Romero maybe gets a little bit of leeway when it comes to uh, how he wants to tell the story. And then we're going to close the set of rotten quotes with Gary Arnold from the Washington Post, who says, Between atrocities, the movie has its funny moments and funny lines. It's just difficult to relish the humor when you're dripping in so much gore. There you go. I was waiting for you to get one review that focused in on the uh excess yeah can you can you laugh when everybody is just covered in uh chocolate syrup that's not what it is here i I have this actually pulled up right in front of me so much of the fake blood used in the blood packets was a mixture of food coloring peanut butter and cane sugar syrup man owned julio how many people you think like couldn't help but lick their their makeup oh that would be so so saccharine though cane sugar syrup Peanut butter, weird, weird texture. Yeah, but they, um, after you're under those lights, hours and hours. Oh, imagine <laughs> just how crusty and stinky people were. The excessive, honestly, you brought up Dead Alive, and the some of the stuff in this to me was funnier than more kind of slapstick than what that movie attempts to do. Uh, famously, neither you or I were too high on Dead Alive, but, but that's a movie that tries to be funny in its excess. Mm -hmm. I, I found myself kind of laughing at some of the stuff in this too because um, it, the tone has some issues from time to time, as we discussed in Contrarian's Corner, but some of the killings and the violence is to like a comical degree of excess. Do you think that it's just easier to uh, to be in tune with the humor here because it's America? It's a better movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's find out what Stu thinks about Dawn of the Dead. 
Hello there, contrarians. This is Robert Stewart from SWOProductions.com and the Stew World Order podcast. And yes, the movie I presented for the patron takeover is the original Dawn of the Dead from 1978, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. The reason I brought this movie to the patron takeover is I remember watching this movie when I was a teenager and I thought it was this out-of-date, before-I-was-born, goofy silly zombie movie with blue zombies and Tom Savini macheteing zombies while driving through a mall on a motorcycle. But it wouldn't be until years later when I would rewatch it a little bit older and I realized just how phenomenal of a horror movie this is with the themes that Romero was going for and the effects that Savini had to work with in 1978 and what he was able to accomplish and just the claustrophobic atmosphere of this movie set in this tight little enclosed mall with these characters that you actually grow to care about. So I've since watched it several times in my life and I always like it more and more. I figured this was a movie that was right up Alex's alley. I believe Julio said he'd never seen it before. So it seemed like a no brainer. Bring you guys Dawn of the Dead to watch. But if I'm being honest, why am I really bringing you this movie? It's because I live minutes from the mall that this movie was filmed in. I used to go there all the time, pre-COVID, before we all started working from home. I used to get lunch at that mall every single day. It's a... It's a decent enough mall. There's a little bit of crime there sometimes, as can be expected from malls in the year 2020s. But uh, it's it's a pretty interesting place. They've got a statue of George Romero there. Other than that, you wouldn't really know it was the mall from Dawn of the Dead. There is no gun shop inside. Uh, it, it's, it's just a mall, man. It, you'd think they would do a little bit more with it. But nope, it's just Monroeville Mall in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Anyway, that's my little claim to horror fame of where I live and, and what I get to visit. So I hope you guys enjoyed the movie. I hope you had a good time trashing it because I know it has a brilliant reputation and a high score on Rotten Tomatoes. So I can't wait to hear what you guys have said about it. Have a good one, everybody, and take care. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize that today uh, malls are considered, I guess, crime hubs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. That's like uh, the Highland Mall over here that they turned into the ACC campus. That place was not, not dangerous. <laughs> uh, when I first, well, the neighborhood I live in was not particularly pristine when we first moved here in 2011. I remember going to that mall, though, one time, and it was I went to the GameStop because Fight Night Champion came out, and I was like, I got to get this, so I walked over there. But yeah, it was uh, it was not good, and uh when they were building the ACC campus, I knew there were some issues from time to time. But now the neighborhood's, you know, on the up and up. But yeah, malls in general, I do not recommend hanging around in the year of our Lord 2023. But that story about going there for lunch and shit, that that's, that's so cool. That's like so, you know, not individualistic because a lot of people went there. But for someone in our podcasting community to bring this movie to us and to have that kind of quasi personal attachment to it, that's really cool. Yeah, Stu, I'm going to be very disappointed if there is, if you don't have a picture where you're just posing next to that Romero statue, because you should, especially since you like the movie. Here at the mall, if they had a statue of, I don't know, Richard Linklater, Alex, would you take a picture next to it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'd have to 
We'd have to get one together too for like our <laughs> yes. website holding, or something. Holding the uh, boyhood Blu-ray. <laughs> but both of us are smiling but doing a thumbs down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's – so Stu likes it. Stu, like me, was under the impression that this would be right up your alley. I think that most listeners of the show probably have that mindset. Let's let's start there, Alex. I want to know what's your beef with zombie movies. <laughs> I am positive we've had this discussion on some episode before that zombie movies just aren't like my bag. It might have been doing uh, the, the, the live episode, actually. That's the closest I think we've done to a zombie movie. But obviously, I fucking love The Last of Us, the game and the show. And uh, Maggie, I'm a big fan of. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And I have fun with zombie movies. I do. It's not, I enjoy the genre of like slasher way more. I will choose a Halloween movie over a of the dead movie nine times out of 10. I, I need to go ahead and just cut to the chase. This movie's great, but it isn't like the one that uh, it's not one that immediately comes to like mind or like the top of my head when like horror movie discussion comes up or if you've ever been to my house and seen my horror shelf it's not really adorned with any type of zombie memorabilia just because it's it you know it's i think because like as a kid they didn't i would watch zombie movies like on uh, monster vision with joe bob briggs on uh tnt i believe that was and they didn't like freak me out like jason like getting stabbed uh or impaled with a piece of a gate and then lightning hits it and brings him to life and then he pulls a guy's heart out with his bare hand. I was like, oh my God. Zombie movies be like, oh, like people like moving really slow and then like, yeah, if they catch up to you, you're fucked. But like in my <laughs> little kid mind and, you know, teenage mind, I was like, well, that's not going to happen to me. But there was something really scary about, you know, Ghostface calling you and then showing up at your front door. So it comes from a place of what I watched in my youth and what really connected with me. Um, and that, <laughs> for worse and much worse has carried over into my adult life as I'm still into professional wrestling and horror movies. But um, I kind of like to set the baseline, like something like uh, 28 days later and 28 weeks later. I mean, I know that they're not necessarily zombies, <sighs> but most people, okay, a fair amount of people consider them zombie movies, myself included. I'm sorry if it doesn't fit like the textbook definition of zombies, but that's, you know, they look like humans, but they're mindless, and yeah, they run. Okay, like does that take on the genre? Does that at least entice you? Because I think that that's fucking scary. <laughs> that's scarier for me. To me, that's scarier than Jason. Like those fuckers running after you, and they're like animals, but they but they're human shaped. I mean, that's terrifying. And again, that that kind of um, revitalization of the genre came at a point when I was already like in my late teens. And so, like, the foundation or, like, the the molding had already been done. Um, I've only seen 28 Days Later once, and it was in college. And I remember thinking it was pretty dope, so I should revisit it. Um, I mean, Oppenheimer is the main character. Oppie? <laughs> yeah. That opening shot is, I think it's the opening. It's fucking nuts, where you just walk in the street of London, and it's completely abandoned. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That was fantastic. Uh, and of course, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. It's We're not going to get out of this conversation in Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk. The discussion needs to be had about it. I remember that kind of 
was viewed as a game changer a bit in the zombie genre because it's uh, it was a remake but had a significant uh, new spin on it. I guess where it settles now in my mid thirties is I'm a fan of plenty of zombie movies. I've seen my fair share of them, and some of them have worked with me more than others. But it's not where my heart lies. And you know very well I can be very passionate about some horror movies, and they're just not that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching this and don't understand its place in history and also think it's pretty damn good. It's a bit repetitive in some aspects, but uh, it's a good movie and it's you definitely understand why it has a legacy that it does. I don't think anyone was expecting me to say I don't like this movie or I didn't enjoy myself. I'm expecting you to say you were bored to tears and not really... <laughs> Because I down can't with appreciate what was horror. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that. It's you can appreciate horror. See our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode. Uh, it's just that there needs to be something there that at least you know echoes with you. And coming off of our Vikram episode, where we were talking about issues and pacing and how that can just like feel agonizing. This movie definitely has a bit of quizzical pacing and it's far longer than it needs to be. And in my head, like the second montage when they're shopping through the mall, I was just seeing you, you know, slumped on your couch with like your pencil against your forehead. Just like, uh, <laughs> so tell me is, is what I'm thinking here accurate or uh, are you going to surprise me and say you had a, a good time with this? We whipped them, didn't we? That's right, Rod. Didn't we? Didn't we whip him? I did have a good time. I I think I am suddenly feeling a little self-aware because I had forgotten about Dead Alive, even though I, I referenced it on my notes. I forgot that. Yeah, that is kind of a zombie movie that we talked about. And I, much like I did on the last episode for Four Brothers, where I kind of revisited our Pain and Gain episode because I was curious to see how I felt about uh, Mark Wahlberg then versus how I felt about him after watching Four Brothers and here the same thing as far as you know I, I don't know that I would call uh, um, Dead Alive necessarily a, a zombie movie the way that I think of zombie movies it's more of a monster movie but I can I, you know there's enough similarities I think and uh, so I guess I, if you're a, a long time listener or at least if you've listened to that episode I, I'm already gonna apologize in advance if I'm repeat myself because my position is still the same which is that uh like gore is not enough to keep me interested in practical effects as inventive as they can be and as as fun as they may look like that is not enough to catch my attention and so when when that's all you have in in your movie or when that's the primary thing that's driving the interest in 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 your movie your narrative um it's gonna be really hard for me to get invested and then the other point that I probably made back then, and if not, I, I know I've made it whenever the topic of zombies come up, um, is that I I was a big Walking Dead fan of the, the TV show. And that is what I think of, uh, you know, as far as modern take on zombies. And that's when I think of what does a zombie look like? What does a zombie do? Uh, what does a zombie represent, right? And what does a zombie bring out of us? Like The Walking Dead, I know there are people that just kind of like roll their eyes as soon as you bring it up. And, and there are people that will tell you, well, it was good at this point and then it sucked or, you know, it it sucked and they got really good. And I think that there's a solid like three seasons of that show that are really, really good uh, once they, you know, kind of like got in their groove. 
on every level. I mean, I think as far as like characterization and what they were doing visually and uh, and what they were using the zombies for, uh, which was is sort of like this force of nature that forces us to assess humanity to decide, okay, are we going to rebuild as, as you know, with trust or are we going to turn on each other? And, you know, who survives? The person that tries to remain a good person or the person that sacrifices his humanity to survive, to get ahead, right? And and so like that kind of stuff. So I guess that's a long way of saying that I I really like zombie stories as a genre as long as there's more to them than just like oh and this is how we blow up this person's head and this is how we do it again and this is how we chop this person's arm and and, and so on uh when it is about- documented you enjoyed the last of us Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that is, you know, again, that's something that some people would say, like purists would tell you, well, those are not zombies. It's just <laughs> some sort of creature that's controlled by by fungus. But but it's it's kind of like the same thing, right? And so I have that standard. It, and that is that is what the, what the comparison goes against. I watched Night of the Living Dead a couple of years ago for the first time, you know, the, the first installment of the oh, Romero yeah. um, series. And I had this this negative reaction. Like I I got it. Like context wise, I understood why it was important. But I was also like, man, these are not zombies. It, it, it's a little bit what I was joking about in Contrarian's Corner, right? Like these are just people. <laughs> They're just like really slow people and and kind of very uh, not skilled people. But they can't talk, obviously. But they're not the monsters that I think of when I think of zombies. And monsters. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a i'm sorry I, a simpsons reference oh. uh it's been fresh in the house i'm sorry <laughs> monsters so i knew that that what i was getting into a little bit with dawn of the dead with this version because i was like all right if it's a follow-up to i did not know it was 10 years later i thought that they they came out like closer to each other but still right like i'm like all right well i saw night of living dead and if this is kind of the way that Romero zombies act, then I might have a little bit of trouble getting into it. And then if you want to make it even worse, yes, I have seen that Zack Snyder remake and I liked it. And it is a very different take aesthetically from what Romero is doing here. Oh, yeah. It's it's a music video. Yeah, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, in, 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 on, on either side. Like, I don't think that Romero's version is necessarily bad because it's not like it doesn't look or feel like Snyder's and the other way around. I, I think that, actually, I think that was really smart of Zack Snyder to just, you know, because Romero's Dawn of the Dead already exists. So I'm glad that he went and did something very different with just like the basis of, okay, well, they're going to be in a mall. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you because I don't remember enough if Zack Snyder's version even attempts at being some sort of commentary on consumerism and capitalism or anything. I just remember that it was like had a good cast and it was exciting to watch. I, if I remember correctly, it's been a couple of years since I watched it. I think they just like end up in the mall because that's where the original movie took place. Like, I, <laughs> They're like, there's probably more to it. Of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's more to it than just that, but you know what I mean? Like that's kind of, well, we need a Leatherface has to use a chainsaw. So the chainsaw is just going to be there. Right. Ving Rhames is a huge George Romero buff. It's like, you know what? I saw that movie. They actually made it for a good while inside a mall. While this um, movie was going on, I did. Uh, was it Richard Cheese? Was that the guy's name? Uh, during one of the montages when they were shopping, I started crooning the 
You mother, get up, come on, get down with the sickness. You remember that song being used? And no, but I can totally oh, picture dude. it. Yeah, it's the montage when they're all like shopping or doing different things, and it's uh, this lounge. It's like a lounge cover of "Down with the Sickness." Is it? Um, get ready to die. Is this when we see uh, Phil Dunphy having sex? Yes, when Phil's going to town on that pretty young woman. Yeah. Anyway, all this preamble sort of like to tell you that the I would have bet also on me not enjoying this movie just because what I enjoy about the genre, what I enjoy about zombie movies is not what this movie gives you. You know, it's like this has this relies a lot on special effects the way that that uh, I felt that alive did where it's like, you know what? The story, the characterization, whatever yeah, is secondary. Okay. Not yes, to that not this to is that good. Extent. Not to accept, but but you know what I mean? Like there are times, long stretches of times in this movie where it's just like Romero and Savini having fun. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and so that biker sequence is a bit too much. Yes. But here's the weird thing, Alex, and and I'm still wrestling with it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because of this show, maybe because of this podcast, these conversations that we have pretty much on a weekly basis, maybe because of the the combination of movies that we've been watching. You know, we just did Double Indemnity a few weeks ago. As I was watching this movie, like what I had in my head was just the idea of of what makes a movie timeless and how can a movie be timeless, but not all the way timeless. You know, like I think Double Indemnity is timeless in a way that is superior to the way the Dawn of the Dead, you could say, is timeless. Like Double Indemnity, I feel like you can show it today I watched it today, you know, and there's no, you don't really apologize for anything in it or you don't really have to like yeah. qualify any of the, of its aspect. You're like, yes, it was made in the forties, but it plays and it works. And it, you know, like Dawn of the Dead, there are a lot of things that as I was watching, I was like, oh, this doesn't really work. And then I would be like, okay, but it was made back in like, you know, is it 68? Night of the Living Dead. Dawn of the Dead's made in the 78. 78, okay then you can just kind of, you give it a little bit of rope, right? Because it's like, oh, well, in the context of what movies were doing there, like this was really fresh and can you blame them for just having fun with it? (laughs) Yes, but then also I would still say that regardless of the year it came out, like Halloween, which came out in 78 also, like that's like an all-time movie. Whereas do you feel when you say stuff like that, you're making – you're not making excuses for it, you know, but it's like, well, I'm having that conversation with myself. That's the thing. Yeah. And people get so, well, even that you're, we're talking about our feelings about movies here. And even with that, like people are so, they th- immediately think if you preface something with for the time at its time, you know, for a movie that came out and da, 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 uh, you know, for an album that was released then. They always think like that means you're making excuses for it or it's really not that good by modern standards, which isn't always the case. There are things that are absolutely timeless. Like I'll lay off Halloween. Uh, Don't think twice. It's all right by Bob Dylan. That song, no matter what year it ever came out, would be one of the greatest songs of all time ever written. I just say I'm sorry. This has really nothing to do with what you're talking about because I understand your like internal discussion. (laughs) When I hear what you're saying, I I can see someone out there immediately being like, oh, well, then it must not be that good by modern standards. And that's not always the case. Some things, yes, are timeless. Other things, it's fair to preface with it, and you can still get enjoyment out of watching it today. Well, I think I would argue that in some instances, it enhances it once you have that in your head. 
You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, if I yeah. watch Dawn of the Dead, the 78 version, with no context, then the the things that don't work bother me more. Once I factor in the context, then I enjoy it more because I'm like, yes, this is running out too long, but man, they were doing this back in 78, you know, and that makes it, that gives me a little bit of admiration that goes outside <laughs> the story and it's just, you know, <laughs> a meta level of, of me enjoying the movie. Dog, so, La Jete, like, yes. it, it's kind of good, like, as it is, but when you're like, this was from 1962, it's like, dude, there were people riding in the streets when they saw this, probably. <laughs> Exactly. So the idea that Romero and Savini and these people, they went in and yes, it, it's just kind of, you know, Halloween is, yes, it came out of some year, but it feels a lot more polished, like more controlled. Yeah. And this one is more just slapshot. You know, they just put it together. They're having fun and it's like, fuck it. You know, if this cut doesn't really match the next one, that's okay because we're just having fun. And uh, if you put it in context, it just plays so much better. I was I was able to do that when I was watching this movie, and I think that 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 kept me engaged whenever the movie lagged. Uh, you know, I was fully aware that okay, this is going on too long. There's you could have cut this. It it I kept thinking, man, this is how is this more than two hours? You know, because obviously you can tell like story wise they run out of things to do so soon. <laughs> just like yeah. we're in the mall, we secure the doors. Okay, now what? Is it time to bring Savini yet? Uh, but but still, you know, like there's like an inventiveness to the to the uh, filmmaking that that just kept me engaged. Now, why does it happen with Dawn of the Dead, and why didn't it happen with Dead Alive? Because you could make that argument for Dead Alive too, right? Like it's it's not a modern movie. I I, I guess, yeah. I, <laughs> Paul's hurled his phone at the the wall at this point, but it's <laughs> well. Here's what I can tell you. It, it, this is still so okay, fresh. I, I, let me, oh, go ahead. Let me just yes. Let's let's say this about Dead Alive, or I will say this about Dead Alive. You can only make a movie like Dawn of the Dead once. You can only make it successfully and in the way this movie is executed one time. And I know that's uh, don't take that too literally because I know there's a, a remake that we've referenced several times, but there are so many movies like Dead Alive. And that are still being made to this day where the idea is like, oh, it's funny if there's like gratuitous amounts of gore. And it's funny that like these bodies are falling apart, but they're trying to eat. Get it? So my my thought would be that, again, we we don't hate Dead Alive. We just weren't as high on it as Paul was. And it's one of those that's kind of, of easy to. Yeah, it's easy to poke fun at. Yeah. My point is hearing your logic. And like my whole thing with horror movies is I'm just very hot and cold, very picky choosy. So I'm taking myself out of it and just hearing your logic with what you're describing and kind of what we're looking at here. And when you compare those two movies, I can completely understand how that veil works for you in this situation and doesn't there. They're just, for lack of a better expression, it's apples and oranges. Yes. Which one's the apples? <laughs> Thought of the day. Well, depends. <laughs> Do you like what do you like? Do you like apples or oranges more? I like both. Depends on the kind of apple too. Exactly. Like. A green apple, a good cold green apple. That's 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 the dawn of the dead in this situation. <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, you know, you scientists. Dummies! You're suggesting Dummies! Listen! Dummies! Excuse me. Listen, quiet, quiet. I think that the other layer though is the that there is more substance. I think, you know, underneath 
the 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 gore and the the practical effects and all the killing it's not so much the 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 criticism of the of capitalism and like oh isn't it funny that the mall is what they're attracted to i think that that just kind of because I've heard so much about it. Like, you know, I'd never seen this movie and I'd seen the remake, but but I knew that this was the movie about the mall and I knew that it was the movie that everybody talked about how it was Romero's really smart, really sharp criticism of just American capitalism and all that. And so that part wasn't it. It's not like that blew my mind. I mean, I can appreciate it. It's there. I think it's funny. But I felt it <laughs> as this... Uh, that it went just a little deeper. Forget about capitalism. Just like th- these three people, or four people that eventually become three, just slowly losing their mind. And they're losing their mind in a way, it, in the same way that the entire world is losing their collective minds with this zombie plague that's just taking us apart. And so in that context as well, that w- when you're looking at it through those glasses, all the ridiculousness that that happens in the second half of the movie almost felt like it was like it made sense like on a thematic level the the thing with the pies i mean it's it's nonsense but i was also like yes because that's the world that they live in now they go shopping in this abandoned mall and she's putting on makeup and trying on wigs in in the end. Mm. Yeah, of course, Savini and his gang are just going to be really silly. It was from a plot level, it didn't make sense. But from a thematic level, I was like, yeah, I can I can appreciate it. It felt like there was something there in a way that, and I promise I'll stop picking on Dead Alive because I feel like <laughs> we've done enough in this one. But Dead Alive was just, there was nothing underneath it. It was just, well, this is this is the next gag and this is... The, the next big special effect, but that's it. There's there's nothing that we're saying. And with this one, it felt like they were actually exploring sort of the, the the lunacy that comes with the idea of a world overrun by zombies in a world where the dead won't stay dead. Yeah, we all started losing our minds. In in it's very poignant that at the end, Kimfuri is really close to just ending it because he can't handle it. You know, he's he's been the one that's been handling it the best. And and even by the time that he gets to the end and he's putting that gun to his head, yeah, I get it. You know, it's like <laughs> I've been with you through the entire movie. I, I understand why you may think that this is this is not something that you want to to keep going through. So there is that as well. Even in in its excesses, like the thing that would bother me the most in other movies, which is just the weird over the top comedy. It, even that didn't really bother me because I felt that it was, I was kind of in awe, Alex. I was watching it and my mouth was a little open. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? It's it's, <laughs> it's so bold, right? Like, he, Especially because it's his follow-up to uh, Night of the Living Dead, which is uh-huh. much darker and a lot more, uh, you know, it takes itself so much more seriously. And then with this oh, one, yeah. he was like, fuck it. We're going to have fun with this because, because the world is a circus at this point. And, and it, I, it works. I, you know, it shouldn't, but it does. You did bring up Night of the Living Dead. Uh, so while we're here, I want to go ahead and mention this because we, we would be sorely lacking in discussing some of the context of this film and just kind of the, some of the things it did if we didn't mention that, uh, I mean, both Night of the Living Dead and this have black leads in it, a black male lead. And especially for the genre, that was not commonplace. Night of the Living Dead was a movie that came out in the late 60s, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, it obviously wasn't 
the 50s or the Clark Gable days, but at the same time, it's still something significant worth calling out. I know that the definition of irony is a white man talking about like racism and racial divide, so I don't want to seem like I'm trying to be too preachy or anything, but that's a that's a significant deal. And especially, you know, as much as I love Halloween, that movie's whiter than porcelain. And, you know... <laughs> It's an what interesting here. point, actually. I, I'd forgotten because uh, the, the way that the, the first one ends, Night of the Living Dead, ends. God, that that's I mean, that's the best part of the movie. Like I said, I wasn't too crazy oh, yeah. about it, but but that ending is just brutal. And just uh, it, it, the one guy that survives, our our hero, is a black guy, and he gets shot by by basically these cops that are coming in and they think that he's a zombie and i wasn't thinking of that when we were getting to the end and i was like oh yeah it would make perfect sense if ken Fourie just blows his brains out because i feel like man you could accuse romero of kind of 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 recycling the same beat you know from movie to movie you have this this black man that makes it all the way to the end only to just you know, get shot at the very end. Even if in this one it would be by by his own hand, it's still. Uh, I guess I'm glad that he ends up going the other way. I don't know. I'm still not sure how you feel about that final turn where he decides to just go with the helicopter. But uh, are you ready for this? Do 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 do. You ready for the alternate ending? Oh, there is an alternate ending. Was it shot? According to the original screenplay, Peter and Francis were to kill themselves. Peter by shooting himself and Fran by sticking her head into the path of the rotating main helicopter blades. The ending credits would run over a shot of the helicopter blades turning until the engine winds down. That is metal as fuck. Implying that the two would have not gotten far if they had chosen to escape. Oh, I like that. During production, it was decided to change the ending of the film. Much of the lead in to the two suicides remains in the film as Francine leans her head out of the helicopter upon seeing the zombies approach and Peter puts a gun to his head ready to shoot himself. An additional scene showing a zombie having the top of its head cut off by the helicopter blades, thus foreshadowing Francine's suicide, was included early in the film. Romero stated that the original ending was scrapped before being shot, although behind the scenes photos show the original version was at least tested. (laughs) <laughs> the head appliance made for Francine's suicide was instead used in the opening SWAT raid made up to resemble an African-American male and blown apart by the shotgun blast. You know exactly what I'm referring to, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that ending is remarkably bleak in every aspect. And I think for the things we talked about with some of the fun they have with this movie, you don't feel like it would have been kind of a betrayal of the tone if they both killed themselves at the end? I don't need both of them to kill themselves. I, <laughs> Francine. <laughs> You're not asking for the world here. No, but but I, I would have been okay with Peter killing himself just because it, that's his journey. Again, when you put it back to back with the fact that uh, the protagonist of Night of the Living Dead also dies and he's also a black man. And I, I think that it's probably better. I, I like it better that, that we don't see him die in this one. Even though we know that Odds are that him and Francine are not going to make it much longer. But still, uh, just, you know, this man has gone through a lot. And and he's being strong for two hours plus. And if he decides that he's had enough, I, I was right there with him. I was like, dude, you've had to shoot two of your allies in the head. 
I get it. You know, that, that was, that was fine. Now her, I don't need to see her die. That, that'll be, that's, you know, one of my criticisms the mo- uh, of the movie. It's stuff that I brought up in the trash corner, which is that she, she really doesn't get to do much other than being pregnant and complaining <laughs> about the fact that she doesn't get to do much. So for her to suddenly on top of the indignity of being kind of an underwritten character <laughs> to, to, on top of all that, to just have this, to just die. I mean, it's, it's a much cooler ending. I think if she just gets on the helicopter and we don't know what's going to happen, but it's probably not going to be good, which is, you know, the ending that we ended up with only there's two of them. I like that ending. I, I like, and I definitely like it better than the, the Zack Snyder version where we get to see there's no, that there's no happy ending. That movie does a pretty good job of right away establishing like anything goes. And also there's going to be some silliness to it. So I think the ending. Yeah, I just think Snyder was obviously trying to take it in a different direction. And it's, you know, he probably did his homework and knew about that original ending. And he's like, what if everyone dies? Let's see what happens there. And then he said, what if we add three hours to the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I I think that it's more disturbing. I don't know if disturbing is the right word, just more powerful. It hits me harder if I just see these people almost certainly going to their death, but still there's like mm-hmm. that sliver of hope that they might make it. That that's more powerful than you know, as the credits are rolling, I see that the helicopter goes down and crashes. <laughs> Just basically, you know, the equivalent of what happens in the Snyder version. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try not to come back. I'm going to try. I wish the movie was shorter. I think that everything that I like about it, I would like it even more if it was more condensed. And, and there's a good chance that the things I don't like about it would also be less powerful because everything is moving a little faster. It, do you, I mean, the maddest rule, Alex, was that, uh, how badly did you feel the length once, once we're getting, you know, on that second half? So honestly, um, it dragged around the hour mark. It wasn't so much the second hour in total that I was like, all right, let's fucking go. I really, really liked the uh after roger died and we kind of unannounced go forward a couple months mm-hmm. and think you like when they have like that living room set and you know they're playing poker or whatever they're playing cards i think and uh she's more pregnant and i love how less how much less hope they have mm-hmm. and how much like like that reinvigorated the movie for me i did kind of like what the fuck is going on when Tom Savini's gang showed up? But <laughs> that added wrinkle of uh, Steven, like at the TV, just trying to find the broadcast. And she's like, it hasn't been on for days. Yep. And he's like, well, it might be uh, just that all hope is lost aspect of it. And, uh, you know, the just dire mental state they were all in I, that that. That's like a needed boost for uh, someone like me to keep my attention is when you kind of boom like at the drop of a hat change the tone or like the emotions these characters have and um it's still too long for me in the sense of this isn't one even though it's just you know a half hour longer than i i prefer that immediately disqualifies it from the well i'll throw this on tonight in the background um can you imagine 
that 236 version? I don't want to. <laughs> it's like, what else do you do with it? I really enjoyed it as it is here. Uh, I could, you know, for myself personally, if I did the Mattis cut, I could, you know, cut some stuff out that shortened it. But I like what it is here. A two hour and 40 minute version of this movie could potentially ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's too much. I am honestly surprised, I guess, uh, as, as my final point, that it, this is just a commentary on, I guess, the industry, not not on the movie itself. But it's just so weird that this movie was not more easily available, either on physical media or on streaming. Very I, strange. Like the Blu-ray on Amazon is $45. Yep. It's like, what's going on? Who has the rights? Who's, who's mismanaging this property? Is it the case with with all of the no? Because I know, I mean, Night of the Living Dead is pretty easy to stream, or at least it was when I when I watched it a couple of years. Night ago. of the Living Dead is on the Wikipedia page for the movie. The entire film is on there. That's right. Yeah. So what's what's the deal? What? Why not Dawn of the Dead? That uh, which so many people apparently consider it even a, a superior sequel. So yeah, I don't know. Figure it out, Hollywood. Because I would like to own this. I would like to... That's how much I liked it, Alex. I, I would own it. God bless. And yeah, just it becomes part of that that rare section of my movie collection that's horror. So where's your score fall? <laughs> I praise it like a lot more than I didn't, but I'm going to land on three and a half, which is probably lower than some people would think uh, I was going to go with. But three and a half is still... It's really good. It's just that it's also kind of unwieldy and, you know, it's good for a horror movie. That sounds so dismissive of the genre. <laughs> Thanks like, for the handout, Julio. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's good. It's okay. You, you want me to piss you off, Alex? I like it better than Halloween. <laughs> All right. End of episode. Shut it down. It's good. Three and a half. Maybe if I watch it again, it would be, you know, it would go up to four. But it's it's good. You know, take the win, Stu, and all of you horror fans. I, I liked it. I, I actually liked it quite a bit. I had a good time. Well, Julio unfortunately said something completely idiotic leading into mine. So <laughs> now I'm in a bad mood. Uh, uh, no, it's good stuff. Uh, I'll go with a B plus. We'll do a B plus on this. Translates when I log in on Letterbox, probably four stars. I same. I, I would like to have it in my collection, so some people need to get their shit together about where it's available. Do you like it better than the the Night of the Living Dead? I think so. Yeah, it's Night of the Living Dead is obviously historic and has great value for what it is, but I think I. I think Ken Faree is really good in this, and it's yes. I mean, he pun- like he does that running punch and a crane kick in the movie. So, <laughs> where's action star Ken Faree? Where's that timeline? I mean, he's Joe Grizzly. That that's it. You don't need he is else. Joe Grizzly. He calls Michael Myers Daisy, and it's an amazing moment in film history. He needed to pass that beast. Well, speaking of beasts past, so comes to a conclusion the patron takeover. And what a what a journey it has been. We started, man. I don't remember what the first one was. But, I don't either. But it, 
Yeah, this is this is all you, Julio. So our patrons, I, we love y'all, and y'all know I put together stuff like our Roxena miniseries uh, and our Lohan miniseries and um, some upcoming projects that are kind of my brain children. But Julio put together this whole idea of this patron takeover, and he was one that reached out to all of y'all to get your picks. So this has been his thing, and it's been uh, – Obviously, we wouldn't have it if it wasn't for you, our wonderful patrons. But Julio, I appreciate you putting it together as well. Well, I'll I'll, I'll pass along the thanks to the patrons that participated and, and made it so much fun. Uh, I think that it's it was also it's built a foundation for something that we're gonna do moving forward. Uh, you know, what's coming up next is of course our our anniversary, and and then after that we have a couple of loose ends to tie. Uh, from uh, from the live stream, but then starting January, you know, we're we're gonna play a little bit with the format of the show, and and this was it, it's informed in part by the the patron takeover, how much fun we had, and uh, how much fun uh, you guys made it. Uh, a little bit of behind the scenes, the the way it worked was obviously we solicited the picks, and then we collected the picks, and you know, some of you put them in sooner than others, but. The way that the schedule ended up being arranged was not so much by uh, order of arrival, but more as in, uh, you know, if we have three episodes a month, we're trying to make sure at least one of those episodes was kind of a mainstream pick. Yeah. <laughs> so we wouldn't have, you know, three Vikrams in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Just to think of, 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 a, of a non-mainstream movie that we've done recently. Uh, and so if you look... <laughs> If you go through the trouble of looking at the past few months of Contrarian's episodes, you can probably spot like which one was the 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 big draw that month. That and it's like, look, it's not like we cared that much about downloads, but at the same time, I was like, all right, I, you know, I want people to like be hooked, and they're like, okay, well, I'll come and watch, I'll, I'll listen to the Joss episode, and I like it so much that then I'll listen to whatever comes next, even if it's a movie that I haven't heard of. Yeah, <laughs> so. And so I think that in that way, we all win, right? Like, I don't know how many people ended up watching Vikram to listen to the Vikram episode just because they were coming off uh, Double Indemnity. Or, you know, they, how many people ended up listening to the Commitments episode and watching the Commitments because they were they listened to Princess Bride before that. And so that was the fun of it, I guess, to take everybody's suggestions and arrange them in a way that that provided a journey, I guess, for just regular listeners of the show that, you know, I was like, how do we keep them tuned in? And and can we, you know, because it, it was, it's completely different than when we're just doing, oh, well, we're, we're doing movies from this director or movies from this actor, because that is a, a different kind of structure. But anyway, all that to say that it was fun and uh, you guys killed it with the picks. <laughs> I think that we've established that we can, we can tackle most things on this show. And, uh, I really like getting um, either text messages or audio files for that we could just play or read during real talk and kind of <laughs> elaborate on why certain movies were thrown our way. So good stuff. I, I I think that we it was I would call it a success, Alex. The, the patron takeover did its job. Agreed. And now there's only one thing to do, uh, and that is to give awards. Yeah, to celebrate nine years of podcasting, my God, we're going to be doing the Embrys, giving out the the awards for the best and the worst in the past year of Contrarians podcasting, and the field has never been so random and so crowded. <laughs> Ken Faree just bought a ticket. 
Ken Faree's up there alongside Chiwetta Lefafor for his performance <laughs> in Four Brothers. And they're the latecomers. There's some people that that stake their claim really early oh, on. Oh yeah, as usual. Uh, once Julio will send me the list of eligible movies, it, it all comes flooding back. So, uh, but no, looking forward to it. Been again another great year, and uh, so concludes the wonderful patron takeover. And uh, th- of course, all of you listening right now, much love for tuning in, and uh, but specifically a big shout out to our patrons who have made the past numerous months very enjoyable i echo that sentiment and uh we will be here with a bunch of awards and a bunch of uh clips from the movies that we've done the past year uh so join us for a celebration of uh everything contrarians from uh november 2022 to october 2023 that's what we'll be doing next alex get us out of here All right, so we're going to move into perennial plugs and start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rathbizer is the man behind our logo. Did that little tomato that's looking at himself in the mirror. It's Hans's work. So if you like it, let him know. Reach out to him on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. It's at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. We can also email him, Mildemonios at hotmail.com, or you can visit his website, Mildemonios.pe. You can check out his other work. He's a writer, so it's a bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels, very appropriate <laughs> to today's episode. Um, and he also has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com, if you're a fan of the world of professional wrestling, the wacky world of professional wrestling, tell Joe we said hi. Friends, Matt, Oracle, Rob, uh, they are so kind and gracious to feature me once a month on their platform and allow me to promote this wonderful podcast we do here. So we want to help do what we can to spread their audience as well. LateNightGrin.com And as always, we close with special thanks and abundant gratitude to our social media team Coriari, who continues to just absolutely kill it with our uh, warm-up videos as well as our quick video reviews and uh, our day oneer Zoe Perez, who's helped every step along the way. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime Instagram at Contrarian Prime YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime and of course our Twitter's in the bumper you can find us any and everywhere if you haven't already take a moment subscribe to us on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter uh, help promote the algorithm and spread the word of the contrarians for the work though that Zoe and Corey have done along the way for us we are eternally grateful and most of all we are grateful to you the listening public for tuning in to yet another episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time Summer of 1999